Hey, it's Zachy. In this episode, we wanted to seek out a voice from the non-Orthodox religious Jewish community. We sat down with Josh Cooper, a committed religious egalitarian Jew living in Jerusalem. We discussed his religious lifestyle and community, his views on labels, and what life in Israel is like for Jews across the religious spectrum. You're listening to... Israel Underground. Being a Jew in Israel means a lot of different things. It means you never have to explain why you don't want to work on a holiday. It means the bus driver wishes you a happy new year in the middle of September. The symbols of your culture appear all over your town. And in public school, your children learn the basics of the beliefs, rituals, and ideology of Judaism. However, it also means that buying unkosher food is widely limited. It means opening your store on a Saturday can get you fined. And you can only legally marry someone of your same religion. Being a Jewish state makes practicing Judaism much simpler in some ways and much more complicated in others. A big complication is when a person is practicing Judaism in a way that does not conform with the mainstream accepted practices. The standard is determined sometimes by lawmakers, often those belonging to religious parties who generally identify as ultra-Orthodox, and sometimes by the rabbinate, a governmental religious body that is made up also of mostly ultra-Orthodox rabbis. The representation in the public eye and policy-making bodies of other sects of Judaism, conservative reform or even liberal Orthodox, for example, is often lacking. Today, we wanted to hear the perspective of a non-Orthodox practicing Jew to get a better understanding of what life in the Jewish state is like for Jews who are out of the mainstream. We asked our friend Josh Cooper to share his insights and experiences. Hello, Josh Cooper. How are you? It's so nice to uh, to speak with you today. Hello, Zachy. I'm doing great today. It's really nice to hear you. That's fantastic. Um, so let's uh, let's let's start off with a simple one. Who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? I am Josh. I'm 29 years old. I grew up in the state of New Jersey, the second of five brothers. I now live in the city of Jerusalem. I work as a software engineer. Um, I like to involve myself in all sorts of Jewish communities outside of work time. Okay. And tell me a little bit more about that Jewish affiliation. Sure. So my father is a conservative rabbi. My mother works uh, in the Ramah National Camping Movement, also the sort of camping arm of the conservative movement. I went to conservative day school. I was grew up pretty much a poster boy of the conservative movement. Um, and I think the labels I've used to describe that have changed over time and sort of I've like my practice has changed over time and sort of gone in different directions. But ultimately, I don't know, I don't I'm these days not so into labels. I don't like using words so much. I don't typically call myself conservative unless that's the most convenient way for people to understand. But I would say I'm a committed Jew, committed to Jewish law, committed to Jewish practice, committed to a Jewish way of life. I would say that I liberal in my in my social perspective and i incorporate that into my judaism so i'm an egalitarian jew i don't like to dif- differentiate between men and women in religious practice lgbt friendly jew i see a commitment to social justice as inspiring my jewish practice so something sort of in in that space i see so what you've done you've you've, you've taken a, a big juicy red apple out of your pocket and you shined it on your shirt and we're going to take a big old bite out of it in uh in a few questions um so Talk to me a little bit more about the, I mean, the idea initially just of labels and, and kind of where you're, you're coming from in terms of not wanting to be labeled, not wanting to use labels. Tell me a little bit more about that perspective. We don't always need adjectives. We don't always need big words to, to apply. And I think sometimes they do more harm than good. 
I see that in Israeli society sometimes, right? I think that sort of when we have words like orthodox and then words like non-orthodox or words like conservative, not only in Israel, sort of anywhere you see this, when we have words like orthodox or words like conservative, people all of a sudden become afraid of doing something that falls into the other boundary, right? When I grew up, a conservative shul was a shul without a mechitza. And so we could never consider mechitza because that would put us into the orthodox camp. But we're not in the orthodox camp. We're in the conservative camp. Right. And I know all sorts of Orthodox folks who might even be convinced by these sort of Jewish halachic arguments behind why egalitarianism is halachically acceptable, but they don't want to go there because it doesn't fit into the word Orthodox. It doesn't fit into the label. And so I think the labels sort of make us apply extra meaning that isn't always desirable to, to the decisions we make. Mm-hmm. So what is the experience, I guess, of bringing this kind of non-labeled um but like, you know, non-Orthodox Judaism, what's what's the experience of of living that in a place like Israel? I guess just the flip side of labels is that, right, there's a reason they exist and that they're useful. They sort of give us quick heuristics, quick ways to understand other people. I signed up for this uh, sort of dialogue group recently, sort of trying to bring in different sectors of Israeli society, like from the Arab sector, the Haredi sector, secular, religious, Mizrahi, whatever. And I said to them, look, uh, I don't know if I actually meet any of the boxes you're checking off. They didn't really have a box for the liberal kind of conservative oriented egalitarian committed Jew. Um, And sometimes, I don't know, when you feel like that society is organizing itself into little groups and you find yourself not really part of any of them, and that, that, that can be hard. And so I think that the experience of, of not being labeled in Israel and sort of not having quite the right word quite the right adjective to fit this noun is what feels right to me i think it's the way that i want to live my life um it's the way that 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 i think judaism can progress in the best way possible but but i think sometimes it's hard it's hard to to not feel like you you have that word that you can just you know tack on like a badge right and and you and i first met um as well as uh, Eden, the producer of the show, uh, and my wife. Uh, we first met in a community that you more or less founded uh, in Givat Shmuel, which was based around the idea of religious egalitarianism. So I guess you could say that you've kind of um, taken that position of, you know, I don't necessarily have an adjective to fit this noun, and kind of um, created a group out of that, right? You've, you've kind of uh, flipped it on its head. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, that community and, and where it came from and the idea behind it. So first of all, when you even showed up in the Minion, it was wonderful and a real blessing. And I'm so happy that you two did. And I'm glad that, that I got to meet you two that way. But um, to answer your question, look, I just have a hard time in non-egalitarian spaces. It makes me feel like like synagogue becomes a renaissance fair. You know, like every other every other walk of life. I were fully integrated gender-wise, right? I could have a boss at work who's a woman and I could sit next to, when I was a student, I would sit next to a woman in class and all that was acceptable, right? But then when I go into synagogue all of a sudden and women don't, aren't counted formally, right? A woman can't be the main leader, she can't be the sort of the chazanit. And when we need to sit separately, it feels like I'm just going into a society whose assumptions are not those of anyone around me. And that's why I like that's why I use the word renaissance there. Let's pretend that this is how we think life is, even though it's not. When I'm doing that, it, it feels like I'm just sort of bifurcating. I'm just separating my religious life and my everything else life. 
And I think that's like a real shame for my everything else life, mm-hmm. right? If, if I feel like my religious life has something to offer, then why would I have those two be different? So it just becomes hard for me when I walk into a non-egalitarian space because I feel like there's some kind of intellectual, I don't know, block, like almost dishonesty that I feel. Um, and so I felt like in Givat Shmuel, you know, there were really wonderful people and there was a wonderful community and so many people that I was making friends with. And I felt like I hadn't found my place to, to pray, right? I hadn't found that sort of prayer community that, that I could be a part of. And so we did it. So we made one. And it was, it was a real, it was, it was a real uh, schut. It was a, it was a ride. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe that it's still uh, going on in some way or another uh, to this very day. So I guess you, uh, you did a good job in, in founding it. So uh, I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about that community. Um, what kind of uh, challenges has that community faced because of its not fitting into a label and, and kind of this way of going against the mainstream, what kind of uh, challenges have presented themselves for that community? So, look, at the beginning, people made fun of us. Um, we first posted in this Facebook group for like Angles and Givachmoral, um, and people said all sorts of mean things about us and how we were you know, separating away from Judaism and whatever, all sorts of all sorts of not nice things. And I was actually really heartwarmed because then there were a lot of other people and many, many more people who stood up for us and said, look, I'm never going to go to this minion, but I think I think you shouldn't be making fun of them. They should do what they want and what feels right to them. Um, and I think sort of after that experience, it became not really controversial anymore. Then on from obstacles. There weren't a lot of people in Gilad Shemuel who grew up in that kind of space. And I think a lot of people living in the community there sort of grew up in what we would call like Orthodox synagogues, Orthodox education systems, and and just jumping into something that, you know, we couldn't quite call Orthodox maybe felt, I think, wrong for some people. Um, or maybe people even just had their halachic objections to it, or for whatever reason, just felt like that wasn't a step they wanted to take. So sort of everyone who made it there, I feel like, was on some kind of journey, right? Was on some kind of journey that that brought them there. And it's like fun to being like a little niche like that. Um, and I think it sort of brought a real sense of intentionality to the community because I don't think anyone who was showing up there was showing up just because. But um, it's it's hard to not be in the mainstream because you don't get the mainstream. You know, you don't. It's the masses. The masses don't flock to you. Don't flock to you in the same way. Uh, it's harder to quite put a title on what you're doing. And so it was challenging. But ultimately, I think that was also its own kind of blessing. Mm-hmm. And and just kind of riffing off of the idea of challenges, to take a step back from that community, um, just in general, what kind of um, particular challenges do you feel that non-Orthodox Jews in Israel face on a day-to-day level? So look, there's there's all the politics, right? And there's like the governmental institutions, right? Like religion and state laws are deeply integrated in Israel. And so marriages by law have to be performed through the Israeli rabbinate, right? Most most hefsters, right? Things being marked as kosher have to be done through the Orthodox rabbinate. All sorts of funding for different educational institutions, right? Like are a lot of preferences given to what we would call Orthodox Orthodox institutions, right? If it's the rabbinate, if it's yeshivas, if it's other, if it's hashkacha, if it's all sorts of things, and that's that's a hard place to be for for the non-Orthodox Jewish community. And sort of, there's almost there's already like a built-in it's a built-in uphill battle. Sort of, that's like a good thing for me to be upset about, right? But I think that that comes because 
you know, the you just don't see the vast communities lobbying for more political power, right? If there were vast communities of egalitarian Jews all over the place, right, they could lobby for that political power and they could and they could get it, right? And maybe there's a chicken egg situation that if you don't get funding, it's hard to grow your community. But I think sort of the big challenge is that it's not really in the mainstream in Israel. Um, it's not really part of the discourse so much. I find that when it comes up, it comes up as something that sort of feels a bit niche, feels a bit different. It's sometimes seen as taboo in certain ways. I think some institutions are very afraid to associate with a label that could be construed as like conservative or reform or something that's that, you know that that doesn't have the orthodox word attached to it. It's the broader challenge that that I described for us in Kibbutz Shmuel, not being in the mainstream, not being part of the discourse, not feeling like you're you're so deeply rooted. I think it, it makes it hard. Definitely, absolutely. So I I, I kind of want to touch on that idea of talking about Israel as a uh, definitely kind of a religious country, you could say. Um, I think there are two sides of that, right? There's the um, infrastructure that's put in place, and then there's also the people who live here. So I want to touch on the first side first. I don't know. I want to acknowledge that, you know, Israel puts you in kind of a, a difficult place between the idea of the Orthodox rabbinate um, and kind of your, your daily lifestyle. How do you balance that religious side and, you know, your, the idea of Israeli pride or, or Zionism, um, if Israel is such a place that is so, I guess, built being around Orthodox. Okay, I have two different thoughts. First, let me answer in, in the sense there's like the Israeli pride question and then there's a Zionism question. Um, I guess it, when it comes to Israeli pride, look, I'm a proud Israeli. Israel is my home. Israel is a place that I love. Israel is a place where I've chosen to lay down my roots and it's where I want to be. And, and, and I really feel like this is my home. And when I see problems in my home, I want to fix them. Right. I don't, I think, you know, love and pride aren't always, don't always go together. And sometimes you can be disappointed in something that you love. And there's all sorts of things that I would want to fix in Israel. And the religious monopoly, the Orthodox monopoly is definitely something that I would want to fix. And that doesn't make me love Israel any less. It makes me hurt sometimes and it makes me want to fix it. Sort of that combination of love and disappointment doesn't make me want to leave. It just makes me, it makes me want to push for change. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're asking also about like ideologically, how do I see like religion and Zionism fitting together? Well, sure. So I don't know. I think Zionism is like, is like an ideology that proposes like such a big reform, like maybe that like Zionism should be called, you know, reform Judaism, right? Because I think it's bigger than, than even what reform Judaism set out to do in like the 1800s. I think Zionism fundamentally suggests a new approach for what it means to be Jewish, right? Zionism is saying Judaism is, you know, returning to being a national identity, right? Not just a religious or a communal identity, but a broader national identity. Right. I think it makes me feel like my civic service time, you know, taxes I pay or time spent in the army or whatever it is are all part of my Jewish experience. Right. In America, those felt those felt when I grew up in New Jersey, those felt separate. Right. There was my civic American duty and there were my Jewish responsibilities and maybe my Jewish values would inform my civic American duty. But it was still that. Right. It was one thing informing something else. But in Israel, it all feels like it's part of one big story. And I think that's such a big change, right? That's such a vast change in what in what it means to be Jewish. And I think that sort of that that identity shift is is something not to be taken lightly. 
And I think that that should have repercussions. And I think that should affect what it means to be religious and what Jewish law means. Right? So if I was describing before that I don't like this bifurcation between my sort of religious life and my everything else life, my, my, my Jewish life and my everything else life, um, I think Zionism speaks to that, right? Zionism is that idea, is that idea that my Jewish life shouldn't be confined to the synagogue or shouldn't be confined to the community of people around me. My Jewish life should also be my civic duty, or it can be, right? I think that's a really inspiring thing. And I think it also can maybe let us think about Jewish law differently, right? I think Jewish law serves a different purpose here. Jewish law doesn't need to protect us against assimilation, for example, in the same way, in the same way in Israel. I think sort of Judaism and Jewish values, halakha, everything should be part of a broader, organic, almost civic experience. And, and in that model, in that model where Zionism is telling me that my Jewish life and my everything else life are really one and the same, then I feel like, of course, we should be adopting egalitarianism into our practice because we've adopted it everywhere else and sort of it's one fluid, it's one fluid way of life. Right? And then I shouldn't need to push my synagogue away from my workplace because it's all part of that same organic Jewish experience. When I think about it that way, I think Zionism really informs that, that Judaism that should be progressing, right? that Judaism that should be integrated into, into everything I do. I see. Okay. And, and somewhere along the way in that uh, gorgeous answer that you've, you gave to me, um, you, you did mention the idea of, I don't know, a civic responsibility. And I want to talk a little bit more about the civilian aspect of Israel, right? Because you're practicing kind of your uh, version of or your flavor of Judaism. And I, I want to ask, do you feel that kind of your actions and your practices are understood by the general Israeli populace? Unfortunately, not really. I feel like there's a long way to go. I should, I'm, I'm going to speak in generalizations right now, and I apologize in advance because I know that there is nuances to everything, but I think a lot of sort of secular people I've spoken to, like, no, like, yeah, this like other kind of religious dream exists, but that's not really for me either. I think religious people, like, you just need to, like, it's simple enough that, you know, you use the word reforming in Israel to describe anything that's not orthodox, right? Even the nuances between what it means to be reform or conservative or whatever, right? Like, like I think that's kind of lost. And so I think in, like, the broader populace, like, Unfortunately, I don't think I don't think it's it's yet. I can say yet. But I don't think it's it's yet big enough here to to be deeply understood. To feel like it's a consensus thing or like a known a known thing. Um. So I think in some pockets it is. I live here in Jerusalem, and it's really gratifying. Sort of, there's a bunch of all sorts of interesting, on the egalitarian spectrum kind of synagogues and communities, and that's been really wonderful. But I think the broader answer is unfortunately not yet. I see. Okay. So, you know, we, we keep bringing up this idea of uh, an orthodox monopoly. I just want to elaborate maybe for some of us who are uh, blissfully unaware of uh, what that might mean. Can you elaborate just a little bit about, you know, what is the state of orthodox monopoly in Israel? Yes. First of all, I want to make clear, I'm not, I'm not an expert here, and I don't know enough about how all of the funding works. But fundamentally... Um, in all sorts of institutions, the Orthodox rabbinate is the recognized entity. And a lot of religious institutions are deeply tied to the state. So by Israeli law, marriage has to be carried out by religious authority, right? And, and the sort of the recognized religious authority in Israel is the rabbinut, which is an Orthodox rabbinate, 
right? So if I were to get married in Israel and I wanted my father, a conservative rabbi, to officiate at the wedding, right, that's considered a crime. Theoretically, no, it's never carried out in practice. Theoretically, a crime that, that you know, it's a criminal offense that someone could go to jail for. Um, so certainly on the institutional level, right, and Jewish, and there's other sort of other institutions also like, like most of the funeral homes, et cetera. So I think, first of all, it happens on the institutional level. Second of all, it happens on the on the educational level, right? I think there's a lot of political power with with orthodoxy, and I think that makes its way that makes its way into sort of religious educational material, Jewish educational material that that makes its way around. And I think that that applies to funding, where you'll see much more funding for for orthodox yeshivas, right? There also are many more orthodox yeshivas, but I think that comes to a sort of chicken egg situation. Um, so yeah, I think it's sort of there's a lot of political power, and the politics are really relevant here because there isn't because there isn't a, a divide between between religion and state, so church and state, so to speak, in Israel. All right, so that's uh, that's good good intel for for those of us who uh, who, who aren't aware. Um, Josh, I want to thank you so much for sharing both your experience and your beliefs, as well as explaining what the situation is for for those who may not know. But before we go. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about your beliefs or your life in Israel? I want to say that there, like I described, there are challenges, but I hope the overall message I was trying to give that I think the stakes are high and I'm really excited to be part of this story and sort of that's, that's the overall guiding thing for me. Mm-hmm. Being a, a person who helps to write the narrative, uh, despite the fact that it's uh, currently niche, hopefully there's uh, a little room in the mainstream for us all. Uh, in the future. Uh, Josh Cooper, thank you so much for for coming on the show and uh, for sharing uh, your experience with us. Zachy, it's so great to hear from you. Thanks so much for having me. The orthodox monopoly, as Josh put it, is both a fact of life in Israel as well as a heated topic for debate in the political and institutional dialogue of how to run the country. It was great to hear from someone who lives that conversation passionately in their day-to-day life to get a better understanding of this demographic of Judaism which is less well-known in mainstream society. Thanks for listening. We're excited to keep the show going. If you have any suggestions for topics or people whose voices should be heard, drop us a line. You can send us a message on anchor.fm slash Israel underground. Israel Underground is written and produced by Eden and Zaki farber Hennessy. All additional audio is used under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.